to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Um, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, I called Don several months ago knowing my second cousin got married um, in Tampa. And um, I said, hey, I'm going to be in town. What do you think? Because you have to know the other side of Don. Don came to Calvary Fort Lauderdale and he ran our Bible college. And I had been home for a year from Africa and I needed was going back to Africa, but I wanted to finish the Bible college before I left. So I only had a summer. So I walked in to Don and I said, okay, I need to do the Bible college. He goes, okay, well, here's where you start. I go, no, you don't understand. I need to finish the whole two years over the summer. He goes, that's impossible. He goes, I need to finish the whole two years in the summer. So we were there from eight in the morning until five at night. And we just went through, we were like this by the end of the day, you know, just kind of went through the entire Bible college in two years, in two months, a two-year Bible college. But it was great. Lynette was there. Um, just profound impact on my life, just watching him take a step of faith, come to Fort Lauderdale, and um, just really invest into me. And so when I had the opportunity to come um, and be here, I wanted to give back a little bit to the man that invested into my life. And so very, very thankful to be with you guys. Um, My wife is here, Andrea. She's right here. Um, Very thankful. Mother of nine children. We don't have 74. Um, but we're approaching 74. We actually have five grandkids. Uh, we have one on the way, so we're very excited. I know you guys are shocked. I'm a grandfather, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> the kids are like, no, you look that old. Um, but uh, yes, we are grandparents and uh, get to see our grandkids this afternoon. So we're going to head on down to Fort Lauderdale after church and be able to uh, connect with our grandkids before we have to hop on a flight. So very, very thankful to be with you guys. And it's also great. It's like a family reunion. I mean, there's so many Fort Lauderdale transplants that are here. Uh, It's just been great to see you guys and uh, just be a part uh, this morning of just catching up with all the things that God's doing in our lives. And he's such an incredible God. I'm going to ask, if you would please, uh, to stand and open your Bible to Psalm chapter 84 as we honor God's Word by standing. Psalm chapter 84, we're also going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, but we're going to begin in Psalm 84, and as we stand, we'll honor God's Word. I'll read in verse 1. Psalm chapter 84, verse 1. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Let's pray. Our Father, we stand to honor your word and your heart this morning. And Lord, we are so thankful that you are the living God. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're the God of the living because you're a living God. You did not stay in the tomb. You rose from the grave for you're the living God. And I pray in the name of Jesus that as we go through your word, that you would pour forth your living spirit into us, that we might change and be more like you. So speak to us, walk with us, talk with us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have your seat. Without turning there, it's Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is trying to explain the kingdom to the disciples. And he tells a series of short stories. And he began each of the stories with, The kingdom of heaven is like... And what he's trying to do is explain the kingdom to human beings, to you and to me. And the best way that he could do it was in a manner of stories. And we call these stories parables. It's an expression of a heavenly truth in a very common language. And so Jesus uses these parables 
to explain heavenly truths. Well, a little bit later in his ministry, the disciples have grown a little bit. He looks at them in Luke chapter 17, and no longer is he using stories. In fact, he wants to use them, and he says to them, the kingdom of God is within you. And Jesus is explaining to them, now, I no longer want to tell stories. I want to express my truth through you. In fact, if you're taking note, the title of this message is, you are a living parable. You're a living story of God's truth. You're a living story of what God wants to do in other people's lives as they watch the story of your life. You're a living parable. Paul got it in several scriptures. I'm going to read just a few for you. Listen, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. He says this, Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Later on, he says, The life of Jesus, it'll be manifested through my body. Listen again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, He died so that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for Him. In fact, he says this in Philippians, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. You see, Paul got it. He understood that he was now a living parable. But I think he learned it from a guy by the name of Ananias. Now, maybe you remember, it's Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, Paul is on his way to Damascus. He's there to go and arrest Christians. He's there to go and cause this great Christian inquisition. Well, while he gets on his way there, he is struck by the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's blinded, and he's led to Damascus. Well, there's a guy in Damascus by the name of Ananias. And God knocks on Ananias' heart and says, Hey, Ananias, I'd like you to go to Saul's house. In the street street called Straight, there's a man by the name of Saul there, and I'd like for you to go. Ananias says, Jesus, I don't think you're talking to me. You would never have me go to Saul's house. You see, Saul is here to hurt people like me. Why would I go and say, Hey, I'm the guy that you want to arrest. Why don't you martyr me? No, you can't. Ananias, go. Because he is my chosen vessel. And I want you to go and express my truth to him. Well, we know the story. Ananias, it's hard to wrestle with God. He obeys Jesus and he goes to Saul's house. And you see, Saul looks at this guy's life who was willing to risk his life because Jesus told him to. He realized the truth of Ananias' story and Paul's life would be radically changed to be a living parable, just like Ananias. You see, in John chapter 20, Jesus tells the disciples this. He says, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. You are my message of truth to the world. But this has been God's way of doing things from the very beginning. You remember Noah? Let's go all the way back to the Old Testament. You see, Noah was a living parable. There he was. He would be asked by God to build an ark. Now imagine there hadn't been any rain. There was no need for a boat. But for 120 years, the Bible says that Noah would be a preacher of righteousness, using the boat as an example, as a parable, as a living story. I want you to come into the boat so that you might be saved. And we know for 120 years, Noah would preach that story, but only he and his family would be saved. Oh, let's go on and let's go to Jeremiah. Now, this might be a little PG-13, but just bear with me. It's in the Bible. You see, here's what happens. God comes to Jeremiah and he says this. Hey, Jeremiah, I want you to go grab a pair of your fruit of the looms and I'd like you to go put it under a rock. Now, it's called a linen garment in the Bible, but we know them as fruit of the looms. And so he goes, hey, I want you to grab your fruit of the looms and I want you to go over to uh, and put this under a rock. And Jeremiah, now imagine you're Jeremiah. You want me to take my fruit of the loom and you want me to put it under a rock. I want you to do it. So Jeremiah takes his fruit of the looms and he puts them underneath a rock. And about a week later, God comes back to him and says, now I want you to go back and get those fruit of the looms. Okay, I guess I'll go and do that. And I told you, this is a little PG-13. So he goes and he goes to the rock. He takes the rock and he looks at the fruit of the loom. He's like, wow, I'm never going to wear these. These are dirty. These are disgusting. And God says, Jeremiah, that's the truth. That's the story. 
That's what I want you to go and tell the children of Israel. You are, your sin is disgusting. Your sin is gross. And it looks just like these dirty underwear that you're holding up. Jeremiah, you're my living story now that you've experienced it. You can go and explain it. Just like Hosea. Oh, you remember? God knocks on Hosea's heart. Another living parable. And he says to Hosea, I'd like you to marry a prostitute. <laughs> God, I can't bring a prostitute home to my mom. That'd be weird. You know? She's going to think things if I bring a prostitute home to my I want you to marry Gomer. So he does. And just like Gomer's character, she adulterates the marriage and she goes and she has children. So much so that she actually sells herself into sex slavery. And God knocks onto Hosea's heart and says to her, him, I want you to go buy your wife. You want me to go buy my wife? I'm finally free. Let her go. She, she, she's had all these children outside of the marriage. I, you know, just let her go. And God says, no, 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 no. I want you to go and buy your wife. And he does. He brings her home. He says, I want you to restore her. You see, Hosea, I have a message of unconditional love from Hosea chapter 4 to the end that I need you to give to the children of Israel. And unless you live it, and unless you walk through it, you will not understand it to communicate it to others. Hosea, you are my living parable. Now we read these stories in the Bible, and remember I told you Paul got it. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, listen, if you're taking note, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 and 11, the Bible says that these things were written for us as an example. We get to read their story. We get to read the truth of their living parable so that we might learn how to live our own lives. But remember, the kingdom of God is within you. You are a living parable. And in the same way that we read the story of their lives, people are watching and reading the story of your life every single day. Pastor Don, he told you that um, my wife and I, we served as missionaries in Liberia, West Africa. Well, while we were there, war did break out. And there's only one word that I believe describes war. It's the word loss. You lose everything. You lose your family. You lose your friends. You lose your neighbors. You lose your neighborhood. You lose everything. You lose food. You lose clothing. You lose everything. The only word that I know that best sum, just summarizes war is the word loss. Well, kids would even lose their opportunity to go to school. Well, because I was a teacher at a school, I didn't want the kids to lose the opportunity to go to school. And even though there was artillery going off and bombs that were being dropped, we really believed that we wanted our kids to be able to keep their minds going and continue to do our high school, even though war was going on. But we couldn't afford to pay our teachers. And so what we did was we linked with another organization and we asked them, would you give us food? And we would use this food to pay our teachers since the kids couldn't pay tuition. And then the teachers would be able to have food. The kids would be able to have education and we would be able to keep the school operating. Well, they would give us these huge hundred pound bags of rice. We would distribute these 100-pound bags of rice as payment to our teachers. Well, we used to keep the 100-pound bags of rice in my house. And they would come to my house, and they, we would distribute the 100-pound bags of rice from my house. Well, I'll never forget one particular distribution. I was sick. I was sick in bed with malaria, and I couldn't help them. Now, if you don't know what malaria is, it's the world's number one disease killer in the entire world. And basically what happens is you get a fever about 104 and 105 degrees and you lie in your bed like this, shaking because this fever and you're praying to God, either let me die or please break this fever. So I'm lying in bed and I've got this fever and they're distributing this rice out of my house and I'll never forget out of my window I hear this. <laughs> and there's this woman, she's whimpering and she's crying. She's a teacher. She can't carry her bag of rice. Everybody has left. She needs to get to the road before curfew. And she can't carry the bag of rice down to the road to be able to get into a taxi so that she can get to her home. And God knocks on my heart. Hey, Chet, I want you to get up. And I'd like you to carry that bag of rice. 
Well, I looked up into the heavens and I said, Lord, if you wanted me to carry that bag of rice, you wouldn't have given me malaria. And I turned back over. (laughs) Well, I don't know if you've ever wrestled with God. He usually wins. And he knocked on my heart again. He said, Chet, I want you to get up and carry that bag of rice. Now, if you've got children, you know what it's like waking your children up Monday morning to get ready for school, right? Weekend's over. They've got to get up. Well, that's exactly how I got out of bed. I got out of bed and I was stomping and I walked outside to that woman and God would not leave me alone. And I looked at her and I said, I'll carry your bag of rice. (gasps) Now, let me tell you something about African women. Let me tell you, you guys don't know how to worship. I'm telling you. In an African church, they dance. They say, I mean, they're like, they do this thing. In fact, when you're teaching at an African church, if someone is touched by the Spirit, especially the old ladies, all of a sudden, they will stand up. And they'll start chanting this song. And the whole congregation will chant with them. And they'll dance like this. And they're walking by you and they're dancing like this. And they're looking at you. And let me tell you something. If you're the preacher, you wait until they're done. You just wait until they're done. And when they're done, you just go, okay, turn your Bible to some chapter, you know. And you go, well, let me tell you, as soon as I told her that I would carry her bag of rice, she starts praising God and dancing and I pick up this bag of rice and she's dancing around me praise God brother Chet thank you so much and I put this bag of rice on my head I walk to the street stomping like this and I'm feeling bad that she's happy and I'm mad at God and I get down to the road and she's like oh brother Chet she's crying thank you so much praise God for you bless you brother Chet bless me And I threw that bag of rice down. I walked back up to my house. I got back in bed and I looked into heaven. I go, you happy? (laughs) Went back to sleep. Well, the true story. That same year, I started a discipleship group. Now, some of you are going, you started a discipleship group with that attitude? Let me tell you, if Jesus can use me, he can use you, okay? It's 12 guys. But one of the guys said, I don't want to be a part. Well, a couple of months into the Bible study, all of a sudden he shows up. So, you know, I just go with it. You know, he was kind of adamant I'm not going to be a part. And now he shows up and I'm like, all right, let's go for it. Well, a year into this, at the end of the year, 12 months later, I'm getting ready to head back home. And we decided to have a celebration of all that God had done in our life through this Bible study. Well, this guy's name was Daniel. And Daniel stands up and he goes, all of you know, I didn't want to be a part of this Bible study. I said, you're right. We knew that. And he goes, well, I didn't want to be a part of this Bible study because I don't like missionaries. I don't like them at all. They come to our country. They tell us what to do, but they don't live the life. But never, I'll never forget one day. I'm at my house. I open my window and I see this white guy carrying a hundred pound bag of rice for a black woman. I'd never seen that before in my life. I'd never seen a white guy help a black woman. And I decided I want to learn Jesus from that guy. And that's why I'm here. Well, I got a little secret to tell you. I didn't tell him about my bad attitude. But I've got another secret to tell you. Whether you recognize it or not, people are always watching you live the story of Jesus. At work, at school, at play. Whether you know it or not, if you believe in Jesus, you're a living parable. You see, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, this is what the word says. Paul is telling the Thessalonians, the whole world is watching your faith. The whole world is encouraged by your faith and your hope and your love. Don't you want to have that kind of testimony that in your world, your world is affected by your story? Listen to how Paul puts it. I asked you, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I ask you to keep your finger there. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to see how Paul puts this. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll be reading verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle. You're our letter written in our hearts, known and read, underline this, known and read by all men. 
clearly, circle that word, clearly, you're an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. Now let me take a moment to explain how you are read by all men. You see, Pastor Don, here's what he did. He got up here and he goes, Chet's a good guy. Don't run away. I know you guys don't know him, but I know him. I've known him for years. He loves Jesus. He's got a lot of kids. His wife is here. If he says anything, trust me, I trust his wife even more. And his wife will tell him what to do. And he got up here and this is what, this is what he did. He gave you a letter. You see, back when... The people, they didn't, we didn't have text messages and emails way back then. And so what they would do is they would get a letter from Jerusalem and they would take this letter from Peter and from James and John and they would hand it to the church and they would say, you see, Peter, James and John say, I'm a good guy. Well, Paul is writing them and he goes, wait a second. I planted this church. I led you to Jesus. He goes, I discipled you. Do I need a letter? Do I need Pastor Don to stand up and say, hey, Paul's a good guy? No way. It's not a question of me. And he says, no, the question is you. You're the question. You see, I watch this all the time. Pastor Don mentioned we have a school of discipleship. It's called Patmos. It's four months and we get to watch students change. And I'm a part of that change. Well, I have sent, we've got over 300 students in the last 10 years because we keep our classes very, very small. And over the last 10 years of doing this ministry, I have sent students all around the world, from Saudi Arabia to Thailand, all almost every state in the United States of America. It's amazing what God is doing. Now, let me tell you something. When I call them and I say to them, hey, I'd like you to go to Haiti. There was just an earthquake and I need you to leave. This message will self-destruct in two days. Listen, they get on the plane. They don't call Pastor Don and say, hey, is Chad a good guy? No. I've been a part of their change. I've been a part of what God is doing. Paul is trying to get across to them, look, I am what, I am a part of what God has done in your life. The question is you. Clearly. See, I asked you to circle that word. Because that word means something very important. Without a shadow of of a doubt. Clearly, you're a letter. Now, I have a question for us, because the question is to us, can that be said of us? What do people say of our life? Is it completely clear to them that we are different? When I ha- if I had to go to work, your work, and I had to say, hey, tell me about so-and-so, what would they say? If I had to go to your school, Would they describe that you're different? If I had to go to the place of your play, wherever you have a good time, would they say, no, he is different if I had to ask your husband or your wife? What kind of letter is being written? What kind of letter is being read? Well, let me explain. We are written by the Spirit. That's what we're written by. And the Spirit of God, listen, he's got a much different handwriting than us. Trust me. I've got six boys and three girls. Their penmanships are completely different. When I get a letter from my boys, okay, I can't read it. It's like hieroglyphics. It's like chicken scratch. It's like a a chicken went in ink and just scratched on the sheet of paper. But when I get a letter from my daughters, oh, big bubble letters. It's purple and pink ink and it's got hearts and little X's and O's and just all kinds of things. A letter from my sons? Dear Dad, I need $50. Thank you. (laughs) From my daughters to the best father in the entire world. There is no one like you on the face of this planet. I happen to be in need of $50. I love you, Daddy. XXOO with a kiss. Who do you think gets the money? My daughters. Now listen, kids, you got to learn how to work your parents. My daughters are going to get the money. It's very evident their penmanship is just completely different. And I can see that my daughters wrote with their heart. Unfortunately, my sons are just like me. They're just black and white. Dad, give me the money. It's different. It's the same as the Spirit. 
The Spirit's penmanship is just different than our flesh. It's different. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Go down with me to verse 18. Go down with me to verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see, because the Spirit's handwriting is different, the Spirit has a job to do to transform us into the image of Jesus from glory to glory. Now, let me explain what that means. Simply what Paul is saying is from step to step, precept upon precept, line upon line, grace upon grace, strength to strength, step by step, the Spirit of God is changing you and transforming you because your flesh is much different than God's Spirit. God is love. And the letter that God wants to write on you is the fruit of the Spirit. It's a love letter. Now this is where the war begins. This is where the fight begins to happen. And I told you, I know war. I know war. In fact, my wife knows war. And there's no one that expresses this love letter better than my wife. You see, and God would use my wife to express to me because there were things in me that needed to change. And that's the job of the Spirit. The job of the Spirit is to make us look more like Jesus in our everyday life. Now remember, I described to you that war, the best way to summarize it, is loss. Well, I'll never forget, we would wash our clothes and we would hang our clothes out on a clothesline. Well, because everyone else had lost everything, and our clothesline happened to be on the pathway that everyone traveled, as women would walk by and see my wife's clothes, they thought it was Macy's, and they would go, mm, and they'd just grab a skirt and keep walking. Or they'd grab a shirt and they'd just keep walking. Well, my wife ended up with very minimal clothes. And I'll never forget, I was teaching in church, and I'm sure I was teaching on the love of God, and a woman <laughs> walks in church wearing my wife's skirt. I was infuriated. I couldn't believe she stole it and now she's wearing it to church. To our church. The end of service, my wife, she walked right up to the woman and I was so proud of her. Now, if you know my wife, she doesn't confront anybody. I mean, if she steps on a cockroach, she writes a letter home to the family. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. You know, it's like she's that kind of person. She's just, so, she just she doesn't confront anyone. But I was so proud of her. She's just marching right to that woman. And I went behind her to stand behind her like, you go get her, girl. You know, she walked up to that woman. and She looked at her and I'm kind of standing behind like this. She goes, you know, I have the perfect blouse to match that skirt. Let me tell you, we didn't have a car. The woman walked home with my wife. My wife went in her drawer, took the blouse, gave it to the woman who stole the skirt. And the woman said, thank you, and walked away with the blouse and the stolen skirt. I'm in the room. <laughs> Andrea, <laughs> come here. My wife and I are about to have an argument. I'm sorry, we Christians, we don't call them arguments. We say strong fellowship. Um, because Christians, you know, we never sin. It's like we never gossip. We have prayer meetings. We share, you know. We never gossip. And we never worry. Jesus said never worry. We're simply concerned. It's like we've come up with all these incredible words of how to be more Christian, right? So I walk, bring my wife into, my, into the room, and we're about to have some strong fellowship. And I look at her and go, what were you thinking? You needed to tell this woman the truth. She's a thief. She's a liar. And she came to church. My wife is like looking at me and she let me go for probably about 15 minutes. And then she said this. Um, what part of when they take your cloak, give them your tunic, don't you understand? Mm. Wow. You see, the Spirit had changed her. My wife had walked through a lot. 
One day she was walking to the market and a group of rebel boys, they kind of surrounded her. They were taking her into a, an abandoned house. By the grace of God, she slipped out from them. She has no idea how. Ran home in tears. People had threatened to burn our house down. She'd been through a lot. But the Spirit, I want you to see what this word is, He had written on her heart. You see, that word written, it's a permanent mark. It's like a tattoo. It's like being etched and carved into your heart. You can't get rid of it. No matter what, you will always see it. And that's what the Spirit's job is. That no matter what our circumstance is, He's writing, He's etching on our heart this incredible love letter. And here's the thing, it's written, handwritten by the Spirit. Now we get all kinds of mail, don't we? But there's nothing like a handwritten letter. Because when we go through all of our mail, maybe we get some pink envelopes. We throw those quickly away. They're from the IRS, you know? Or maybe we get bills in those white envelopes. And sometimes we don't even open the mail because it's just advertisement. We throw it away. But when we see a handwritten envelope, we know it's from the heart. It's the first that we open. Because it's the Spirit's heart written on your heart. And my wife she would write a handwritten note that would change our life. She'd write it to a young man. He was about 10 years old at the time. He was a child soldier. He'd been fighting since the age of five years old. Can you imagine? Holding an AK-47 and an M-16, they had recruited these children and I'll never forget a commander telling me when I said, no, give me the children. They've got to be a menace to you. He goes, no, they're our best fighters. They've got no fear. And she would write a letter to one of those soldiers. But I'm not going to tell you his story. I'm going to let you, our oldest son, tell you his story. Would you watch this video for just a moment? I remember one morning, um, my parents were getting ready to go to the farm, um, and we heard about these rebels was going to come, but we never knew when they were going to come. We left my, my village, and everything was okay. People was happy, and my best friend, everybody were laughing, and I just talked to them, and then we came back. My whole village was on fire, and my best friend, they just killed him, and his hair got cut off, and they set his hair in the road. I was running for my life and never knew what was going to happen. Um, I got in the ambush with these rebels and they, they told me that I was part of their group, um, which I never have any dream ever. But here I was. And this boy, little um, seven years old, he got shot in his stomach and they forced me, they forced me to take this boy's body while he was bleeding. Here I was taking the boy's body and they told me I was a child soldier. was nine years old so they they will recruit all these force these boys from their family that make them to be child soldiers and then they give them AK-47 telling them they got to go shoot people and that was my life for almost a year and a half I was feeling um, bad um, seeing most of the thing that I saw and shooting people being shot and people had being cut off with machete and you watching all the thing I couldn't go to bed and sleep at night because it was it was hard seeing thing like that even though I wanted to cry but I couldn't cry because if I do I made I may be weak I couldn't show any emotion because um, I might get killed that's when I, I, I ran away and I went to the refugee camp where other people were living what I knew I could be saved. I just came out of the ward and I never knew what was going on. And they told me there was a missionary and, and, and I went there and they reached out to me, they helped me and they you know, took me to the hospital and then I got better. I never been into a missionary home before and that was my first time. They're showing their love to me um, um, every day that make me lose up and, and, and it was amazing to see something like that. Because they are, are continuing love to me and that make me to feel like, man, these people are real. 
And these same missionaries that I met are there now. They are my parents. Pastor Chad Andrew adopted me and brought me to the United States. And it is just amazing to be adopted in a family that will teach you how to live for Jesus. Now I work on a grand crew as a team leader. These are guys that came from different lifestyles and just encourage them and build them up. God gave me the opportunity to go to different places and tell teenagers about Jesus. Basically sharing my testimony to them and just telling them that God loved them and they don't have to go through life by themselves. What God did in my life was very amazing, getting me hope and a future and something to look forward to. I am a free man in Jesus Christ today. The letter that my wife would write would be to the young boy that did those things to my oldest son. His name's Emmanuel. He was a fighter since the age of five. We had begged him, please come out and be with us. He refused. He loved his gun. He loved to hold it. It was like a, a toy. So one day I, I found him and he was on the side of the road and he was in need of a, an emergency surgery. Picked him up, took him to the hospital. That day he had the surgery. When he woke up the next morning, there was a handwritten letter from my wife. Dear Emmanuel, we believe you're our son. Would you please come home? That was over 20 years ago. That boy has not left that woman's side for over 20 years. I'll never forget, he played football here in the United States of America, and it was homecoming, and he was walking down the field with his mom, and the announcer did this. Emmanuel Lowe and his mother? Andrea Lowe? The two of them, wind cannot pass between because she loved him enough to write a letter. And she's lived that letter for him. All that she went through, through the war, she was still able to look at one of the young men who affected her life and say, I love you. Well, let me tell you something. Life is like war. And you've got to make a decision. Because he says, the Spirit's not writing on hard tablets. No, the Spirit of God, He's writing on a soft heart. The truth of the matter, in this life, you're going to have tribulation. And you've got to choose with the life circumstances that God allows you to go through. Is it going to make you hard as rock, like a tablet? Or are you going to let the Spirit of God write His love letter and use that situation so that when you're in it, other people might read the love letter that God has written on your heart? Now you might be saying, Pastor Chet, you got to wait a second because I, I, I've gotten hard. I've allowed the war of my life to make me bitter and to make me angry. I've allowed my life circumstances to take me to a place where I'm no longer a love letter. Well, listen, I've got great news for you. Would you turn in your Bible with me to First Peter? I want you to see someone who truly changed. I've got good news for you. Listen, it's First Peter. It's chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want you to see in verse 4 something that Peter says. He says this, Come to Him, coming to Him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Look at verse 5. You also, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Listen to what Peter says. Come to Him when it gets hard. Get to Jesus when it gets hard. Because if anyone knows hard, it's Jesus. He was rejected by His own he knows what it is to have life's hard circumstances. But yet when, when he was on the cross with those that rejected him, he still chose to be God's love letter and say, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. Because the Spirit had etched in his heart this love letter. And Jesus knew something. 
even though he was rejected, the Bible says here, Peter got it, he was chosen by God. The hard time has a purpose. And the purpose? Chosen by God and precious? You see, earlier in Peter's letter, he says this, don't be surprised when you go through various trials. It's producing in you precious faith. You see, God has a purpose for the trial. It's a purpose that's precious to God. He's molding and shaping you. Now, this is good news for those of you that have gotten hard. This is good news for those of you that have messed up because God is not done with you. He's building a spiritual house. And he says, come to him. If anyone got the message, Peter did. He constantly messed up, but he knew where to run to. And after Peter had denied Jesus three times, as soon as he heard that Jesus had rose from the dead, he ran to the tomb. He knew where to go to. And now Peter is telling the church, listen, I know life is hard. Get to Jesus like I got to Jesus because he's a living stone. And he can take that stone of destruction and he can use it for construction. Let me explain. A living stone? Peter didn't get this example from himself. He wasn't that smart. He got it from the Old Testament. It's a picture right on the wall over here. You see, listen. There was a time with the children of Israel for 40 years they wandered in a wilderness. Now let me tell you the wilderness. I've been there. It's desert. There is no water. Well, they started moaning and complaining. We don't got no water. So they said to Moses, what are we going to do? We don't have any water. Moses goes to God and Moses says to, and God says to Moses, I want you to take your staff and I want you to strike the rock. Well, when he struck the rock, all this water started coming out of this rock. This dead rock all of a sudden became a living stone. And it, it gave water to the children of Israel. Well, a little bit later on in their history, they were there for 40 years. They got thirsty again. So Moses, God says to Moses, I want you this time to go speak to the rock. Well, as Moses was going to the rock, the children of Israel, look at Moses. I can't believe he's brought us out here into this wilderness. We're going to die. I wish I could go back to Egypt and get an onion. Now I can see if they said I want a pomegranate or an apple. But an onion? It's like, what do you do? Do you peel it and bite right in? It's like, are you really satisfied with an onion? Look at Moses, and as Moses is walking to that rock, he's listening to all of life's circumstances. He's listening to all of the issues that are going on around him, and he gets up to that rock, and he goes, and he hits the rock. And God says, Moses, come here. (laughs) Moses, I told you to speak to the rock, not hit the rock. Because Moses, you don't understand. That rock means something. Jesus would describe himself as the rock in Matthew chapter 21. And the first time that Jesus comes, yes, man will strike him. But the second time he comes, nobody will strike him. Moses, he will be king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus is the rock. And Moses, let me tell you something. I'm not mad at the children of Israel. You are. I want to give them water. I want them to know that they can come to me when they're thirsty. I want to give them something to drink. Moses, here's what I do. I take some kind of dead thing called a stone and I bring water out of it and make it a living stone because I love them and I want to care for them. And church, listen. It's exactly what he's doing with you. And he says this. Okay, you've gotten hard. Life has been rough. You've gotten bitter. You've gotten angry. Give me that stone. Because here's what I'll do with that stone. I will turn it into a living stone. It's what I do. I will use life's circumstances to start building your spiritual house. And I will take that thing that has made you bitter and supernaturally I will pour my living water into it. And all of a sudden, if you'll give it to me, give me that stone. I will supernaturally change you like I've changed so many hundreds of thousands of million people before you into a living stone. God, how do you do that? I don't get it. It It's five years ago, a few weeks ago, I got one of the most disturbing calls of my life. My brother was an F-18 fighter pilot. 
He was a blue angel. Flew the F-18 Super Hornet. Landed on aircraft carriers. He was a blue angel. He was pilot of the year two times in a row for the Navy. Top gun instructor. 33 years old. He was home from tour in Japan getting ready to join the Blue Angel team for a show in Oklahoma. Preparing the day before, he did a double corkscrew. He never turned out of the second turn, and him and his co-pilot died that day. God, why do you do that? Why do you allow that? And how do you make that better? It would only be three months later, I would find my father dead in the backyard. You see, my little brother, he was our baby brother. And my dad, he just couldn't recover. He literally died of a broken heart. His heart exploded. We found him in the backyard. Now I'm left with my widow mom. God, how do you turn that around? What do you do with that stone? He said, give it to me. And I did. And it was this last October I realized how we can take stones and use them to build our house. You see, my brother's body would go through the Marine Station in Camp Pendleton down in San Diego. And when they heard that I had moved to California, they asked me to come and speak to their Marine recruits. 600 Marine recruits, 18 and 19-year-old kids giving their lives for our country. And I stood before them because of my brother's death. And I communicated a heartfelt thank you. And I told them they remind me of Jesus because they go around the world and they save people's lives. And that's what Jesus wants to do with you right now. And I gave the gospel. Now let me tell you something. This memorial, this place, it looked just like the place that we buried my brother. When I walked in, I started crying uncontrollably. I started to walk around and the guy to leave. And the guy goes, you're teaching. And I go, I can't. He goes, well, we ain't got nobody else, so you better walk right up on the stage. I walked up with tears in my eyes, and I gave them the gospel. And when I gave them the gospel and I asked them to stand, over 550 Marine recruits gave their life to Jesus. And Jesus said, I'll make you a living stone. Just give it to me. You don't know what I'm doing but I'm building you. Look, people are watching you. No matter you know it or not. And I know life can be hard. Maybe you need to give your stones to Jesus today. He'll change it. Change your marriage. Change your life. You'll begin to see things differently as water pours out of that stone instead of death. Would you pray with me? Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. And I'm asking now that you would use your word in this place for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment. I believe in this living water, Jesus defined him as the Holy Spirit. And I believe he uses the living word to penetrate to our hearts. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 that the living word, it's like a sword. It goes right to the very core of our being. And I believe with this word, That the living word by the living spirit has penetrated someone's heart. And today you know because the Spirit's speaking to you now. You've got some stones that you need to give to Jesus. And I want to pray for you. And I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. I'm going to ask you to stand and say, Chet, that's me. Now, you know it's you because the Spirit's like, your heart's like, like this right now when I'm talking. 
That's the Spirit. He's powerful. And He penetrates to the heart. And I don't know if you're pastor, elder, deacon. I don't know who you are. But you know you need prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand in humility and say, that's me. I need to get to Jesus. I need to give him this stone. And I don't know how he's going to make it a living stone. But because he said it, I'm going to do it. Without any music, without any fanfare, if that's you and you know you need prayer, would you stand? I want to pray for you. Is there anyone that would say, that's me? Would you pray for me? Amen. Amen. Paul says that when we pray, we should lift holy hands. It's like an act of surrender. And I just want you to just kind of lift your hands as an act of surrender. And I'm going to pray with you. Our Father, I come before you as one that has had to give you many stones. And it's been amazing to see how you take those stones and you build a house. I don't understand why you do and work the way that you work, but I'm going to trust you. And I want to pray for everyone that has stood in their humility as they give you their stones. Would you make it a living stone and build their spiritual house Now what I want you to do if you're standing, you just speak to Jesus. Just give him your stone. Just give it to him. So Lord, we pray, let your living water now flow over us that we would become a love letter changed by your word through your spirit. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.